0: Thank you. It's such a joy to be with you, although I wish that I could have been with you in person to be able to open up God's Word with you. Even in this forum, it is such a joy for me. And so you guys can take your Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to be in verses 1 to 20 this morning. And as we're opening there, I wonder if you have ever met someone who at the time that you first met them, you didn't realize that they possessed a certain power. Maybe it was a a strength or a characteristic or an ability. And the first time you met them, you didn't know that they had this ability. But as you came to know them more and more, you realized that they weren't what you first thought they were. Maybe this person has a strength that you didn't think they would have. You shook their hand and they had that real businessman handshake, the the crippling handshake, and you came to realize this person has more strength than I realized. Maybe you might look at a person and say, well, that person is smarter they look. Whatever it is, this person has a a strength and a power that you didn't think originally that they would possess. But as time passes, you become gripped with this ability. You become gripped with this power. You begin to comprehend exactly who this person is. Now that familiar feeling that we all have experienced at times in our life is the feeling that the disciples are going to experience with Jesus in Mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 20. As they stood on that hillside and watched Jesus interact with a a man who was possessed with demons, they were about to witness Jesus' power on display. And their jaws would drop as they came to realize, again, just how powerful Jesus is. In fact, this display of power that Jesus would put on, it would be the greatest display of Jesus' power, since before the creation of the world, when he cast the demons out of his heavenly presence, and the disciples and us this morning, we get to stand and watch Jesus Christ display his power against these demons. And Jesus isn't putting his power on display just to show off. He's putting his power on display with great intentionality because he wants to accomplish something in your heart this morning. He wants to show you that if you have any chance at possessing the faith that is required to follow him, it requires that you are gripped by his power. That if you are able to follow Jesus, you must be daily gripped by the power of Jesus. And listen, we need to be taught this lesson this morning. We need it so much. Much, because following Jesus is impossible if we're not gripped by the power of Jesus. Think about this for a moment. If you don't believe Jesus is powerful, then you will never turn to Jesus. Why would you? It is of immense importance that you are gripped daily by the power of Jesus, because if you believe that Jesus is a powerful person who can act in your life with great power, you will turn to him constantly. Listen, church, what, what will happen if we're gripped by the power of Jesus and that common anxiety starts to well up in our hearts and starts to well up in our souls? Well, if we were gripped by the power of Jesus, we would turn to him knowing that he is able to deliver us from whatever situation that we're, that we're in. What would happen if we were discouraged by the sin that seems like it has such a powerful grip on us that seems like we just can't get it unrooted from our lives? Well, if we were gripped by the power of Jesus, we would turn to him knowing that his power is greater than any sin that could ever take root in our hearts. So then we must be gripped by the power of Christ. And this morning, we're gonna be seeing Jesus putting his power on display for this very purpose, that you might be gripped by his power, that you might have the faith to be able to follow him no matter the circumstance. So I want you to see This in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And I'd like to read the passage in full for us. You can read along with me. It says this, "...they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain." For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what it was that happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. And the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to, to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. First thing I want you to see is that if we're going to be gripped by the power of Christ, we must come to expect the destructive power of the enemy. If we're going to be gripped by the power of Christ, we must come to expect the destructive power of the enemy. Now, at this point in the gospel of Mark, the disciples had seen the power of Christ put on display time and time again, and yet still they were not gripped with it. At this point, point in the Gospel of Mark, they were just freshly shaken by perhaps the most terrifying experience that they would ever endure. See, they, they had just boarded a boat with Jesus, and while they were on the boat, a great storm arose, and as wind beat it against the side of the boat, and as waves were crashing over the side, they feared for their lives, they wondered if they would ever make it and then they found Jesus the one who was proclaiming that he was the son of God and what was he doing on the boat he was asleep As they feared for their lives they cried out to Jesus and they said don't you don't you care that we're perishing this boat is sinking and you're asleep And Jesus arose and the disciples would see what we read and see Jesus is great power put on display against nature. He would speak to the wind and the waves. He would say, be still, and they would stop. The disciples would realize that Jesus has a power that is utterly unique. Now, what happens next in that story should really shock the reader because we would expect that Jesus would turn around after calming the wind and the waves. He'd turn around and he'd say, wow, that was a deep sleep. I can't believe I just slept through that huge storm. Instead, what he says in Mark forty, Mark four forty, he says, "Why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith?" Why would Jesus respond like that? See, we should be able to sympathize with the disciples a little bit. They feared for their lives. They didn't think that they were going to make it, and they looked at Jesus, the one who said he had power, and he was asleep on the boat. And yet Jesus responds like this because the disciples should have already been gripped by the power of Jesus. They should have come to expect that his power would deliver them. They should have been gripped by the power of Jesus. And so they had no faith. Because of this, the disciples respond at the very end of Mark chapter four. They say, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, that question will be answered, but Jesus will do more for us than just answer the question with words. Instead, he's going to practically show us and the disciples exactly who he is. Actions speak louder than words, and so this is the compassion of our Savior that he wants us so much to be gripped by the power of Christ that immediately after the disciples ask this question, who then is this? He finds himself in front of the demon-possessed man, and so, look what it says in Mark chapter five, verses one to two. It says they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, see this word immediately. Jesus wants to impress this lesson on our hearts and on the disciples' hearts. Immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus steps off the boat and out from the tomb comes running to him, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, we learn a bit more about this later, but this man ha- is possessed by thousands of demons. As we come to know this man and to hear his story, we will become increasingly horrified by the way that these unclean spirits, these demons, have absolutely destroyed this man's life. There's been absolute destruction and ruin of his entire life. One commentator notes that that this story of destruction and ruin, he says, is one of the most lamentable stories in all of Scripture. See, this man's life had been come to absolute ruin by the destructive powers of the enemies of Christ that were possessing him, so much so that Mark tells us that he lived among the tombs. Now, the tombs, they functioned as a modern-day graveyard. And so what society was saying to this man is, your life is in such ruin, you are such a mess, that you are worth nothing to us. Go and live among the dead because that's as good as you are to us. And so this man, he lived among the tombs, living among the dead, he would be ritually unclean according to the Levitical law. And you need to hear this. If you are listening to God's word this morning and you are an unbeliever, you need to hear that there are demons, that Satan is real, that there are powers of evil that are out to destroy your life this very day. That Satan is aiming for your eternal destruction. This is why Jesus says in John eight forty four 44, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He desires your eternal destruction. He has murderous intent. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, you need to hear this. Maybe you respond, well, no, Satan and demons, that's just fairy tales. That's not really real. But let me ask you this question. Are you sure? Are you 100 percent sure that they are not real because God has come and He's spoken into this world to say that they are and they are aiming for your eternal destruction And yet this is God's grace to you that He's hit the pause button at this very moment he's hit the pause button on the enemy's destructive intent in your life so that you for the next few minutes, can hear of the power of the one who can deliver you so that you can openly be invited to rest in the protection that Christ can offer you from the destruction of his enemies. And the tombs, they were a suitable place for this man because this man had been an absolute terror to those that were around him. Verse 3 tells us that he was so set on destruction that he could no longer be dealt with. Look what it says in verse 3. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. You see the absolute destruction that the powers of evil had had on this man's life? No one could bind him, not for any length of time, not with any type of material, even chains. They had tried everything. Look what it says in verse 4. It said, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Nothing could work. And it is clear that at this point in time, he is a hopeless case. Even Mark would admit that no one had the strength to subdue him. Not only was he a terror to those around him, he was also destroying his own life. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now stop here for a moment, because as we read of the destruction of this man's life because of the demons that have possessed him, the feeling that we have should be like the feeling of, of seeing a horrific car accident This is a picture of absolute destruction, and this is what we must come to expect from the enemies of Christ if we are going to be able to be delivered or be gripped by the power of Christ. This is what Satan and his demons and the powers of evil want. They want your destruction. They're out to destroy, and so every time in Scripture, when we get a glimpse into the the workings of the enemies of Christ, we see destruction. We see it in the garden when Satan successfully tempts Adam and Eve to disobey God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, he says, your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And all throughout Scripture, whenever Satan shows up, we see that his aim is destruction So let me ask you this question. Have you come to expect the destructive power to be active in your own life? The reality for many of us is that there is a prowling lion around us seeking our destruction, and many of us live like like we face no harm at all, like there's no power that's against us. We live as though Satan doesn't exist. And so let me ask you this question. When was the last time you really thought about the potential danger you are in and the ways that Satan and his evil minions and the powers of sin in your life may be leading you to destruction? Because there is a lion that is prowling around and seeking your destruction. Let me ask you this. What footholds might sin have in your life right now that could lead to your destruction. Satan is seeking to use those things in your life to destroy you eternally. Many of us live as though Satan doesn't intend to destroy us, and this is the way that Satan would have us, have us live. Satan doesn't want us to know that he is actively out to destroy us eternally. See, what Jesus is doing here for us, is he's teaching us the way that evil works in our lives. See, Christ's enemies, they don't like to be expected. They like to destroy your life without you even knowing it. And so notice that the text says that the man, he couldn't be bound anymore. That means that there was a time in this man's life when when evil had only had so much destruction on his life that he was still able to be bound, but now it had come to a point where evil had such a grip on him that he wasn't even able to be bound. And this is the way that Satan would have it. This is the way that evil works in our lives. See, we're not often presented with a life-destroying sin on a platter in front of us. Satan doesn't appear to us one day and say, hey, why don't you go and cheat on your spouse? Instead, it starts with something small. Maybe it's a lustful look. Maybe it's a private conversation. It leads to some more destructive action, whether it's addiction, a pornography, or an inappropriate Appropriate meeting, and day by day, day, you are led down this path of destruction until Satan is able to take absolutely everything away from you and destroy your life completely. And so diagnose your life right now. What footholds might Satan have to destroy you? Here is a man absolutely destroyed by the power of Christ's enemies, and yet by the grace of God, both this man and we this morning stand in front of the one who is able to deliver us from the destructive power. And so the next thing I want you to notice is that if we want to be gripped by the power of Christ, we must experience the delivering power of the Savior. We must experience the delivering power of the Savior. Now, in verse 6, we take our eyes off of the destruction and set them back on the encounter between this man and Jesus Christ. Now that Mark has set the stage for the destructive power, the delivering power of Jesus is all the more magnified. Now we know what Christ is up against. And so now we read this story with great anticipation. See, here is a completely hopeless man in a hopeless case. No one can deliver him. And on this side is this man that cannot be delivered, but then on this side is this man, Jesus Christ, who can stop the wind and the waves. And the question is this, does this man who calls himself the son of God have the power to deliver the most hopeless of the hopeless? The most destroyed man. Is it possible that Jesus has the power to deliver this man? Now it's clear what the demons think about the power of Christ. Before the battle could even begin, The demon, the one who is powerful enough to break bonds of iron, he hurls himself at the feet of Jesus. And look what it says in verse 6. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. On his knees, listen to what he screams to Jesus in verse 7. He says, crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. See, these, the initial words of the demons show who has the ultimate power in this battle. Even the demons know. Even the demons are clear that Jesus is infinitely more powerful. And so in an instant, this man who had untamable strength is tamed in the presence of Christ, bowing at his feet, pleading and begging before him. And so our question is this, why do the demons who have brought such destruction to this man's life, why do they submit so quickly to Jesus? See, this is just a reality that if you know anything about martial arts, that if you are fighting someone who is bigger than you, who is more powerful than you, then the best martial art that you can practice against them is the martial art of fleeing, The best thing you can do if you are up against someone who you know can destroy you is run away. And yet these demons, they don't run away. Instead, they run towards Jesus. Why would they do that? Because they know who he is. They correctly call him the son of the most high God. They rightly recognize that Jesus has a power that is unique and universal, that there's no power like his. Because there's no power that is above his. Jesus is the greatest power. And so the demons know exactly what is about to happen. And so they beg Jesus. They say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons understood where they stood in relation to Christ, that they were enemies of Christ, and that Christ's power was not only superior to theirs, but hostile to them. See, outside of Christ, this is your greatest problem as well. See, sin is a great problem because if you're not gripped by the power of Christ, you are hostile to the power of Christ. This is why your sin puts you in a horrible position because not only have you not lived for God, actually in your life you have lived against God. This is why you're so deserving of condemnation, because you're not just indifferent to God, you're actually hostile to God. And so the demons, they know the superior and hostile power of Jesus towards them, and so they can't run away. They've got to run to him and quickly submit and quickly surrender their lives to him. That's why Mark notes in verse eight. He says this, for he was saying to them, "Come out of the man, you unclean spirit." See what what ha- what the demons say in verse seven is actually in response to the fact that they know as soon as they say, as soon as they see Jesus, they know that he has come to deliver this man from their destructive power. Their fate is sealed. And so they have a fear and a respect of Jesus' power because they know the direction of Jesus' power. They know that Jesus has come to powerfully deliver this man, and so that means that their destruction was imminent. This is who our Savior is. Jesus Christ is the compassionate Savior of those who cannot deliver themselves. Jesus, the powerful one, comes to deliver His children from the grips of evil. See, this morning we need to see and be gripped by this reality that Jesus' power is a delivering power. The Son of the Most High God came that he might deliver his children from evil. See, if you're a child of God in the presence of Jesus, your heart can rejoice because here is the one who has come to deliver you from the grips of evil in your life. Where the demons tremble in fear, the children of God find comfort and rejoicing. Jesus has come not to condemn, but to deliver his children. And so let me ask you this, when Jesus returns, imagine this day for a moment. When Jesus returns, what will your reaction be? He's coming back to deliver his children and to destroy his enemies. And so the question is, as a child of God, will you experience the delivering power of the Savior? Or as an enemy, will you experience the condemning power of his justice? See, the coming of Christ will be much like if the police were to show up at a house that is in the process of currently being robbed. When the police show up to that house, there's two reactions of people inside the house. If you're the person whose house it is that is currently being robbed, then when the police show up, there's great relief. Here are the ones whose presence mean you are about to be delivered. In their presence, you find protection. In their presence, you find safety. And yet, if you are the robber in that house, you find great dread knowing that they are coming for you knowing that in that house you are the one who has been working the forces of evil and the the police, the authorities are there to destroy you. The question for you is on that final day when Jesus returns, it will be the same presence of the same man and yet there will be two different reactions and what reaction will you have? See, the thing that makes all the difference is faith. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have been gripped by his power, then on that day when he returns, you will know that your deliverer has come to deliver you finally and forever from evil. But outside of faith, you have no hope. This is the power of Jesus to deliver his children from the grips of evil. But but Mark this morning, he wants us to find even more comfort than this. See, by giving us a window into the nature and the identity of the unclean spirits, Jesus is showing us that he's not only intent on delivering us from evil, he's also able to deliver us from evil. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, And Jesus asked them, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now what Mark is doing here is showing us exactly who Jesus is up against. The demon's name is Legion, now, legion is a Roman word. It's used to describe an army that contained close to 6,000 men. And the number is significant here because it's showing us that this is not a fair fight. This is not one verse one. This is one verse 6,000. And this is not an unorganized mob of demons. This is a legion of demon demons, an army of demons that are in powerful and have the intention of destruction. They're after something here. And so you see what is happening here? We're continuing to see the destructive power of the one that Jesus is up against. And why is Mark spending so much time describing to us just how powerful the demons are in this scenario? It's because if Jesus is able to deliver this man from this situation, how much more is he able to deliver you? This is an argument from the greater to the lesser. See, if Jesus is able to deliver this man, so much more is he able to deliver you. If he's able to deliver the most hopeless, how much more is he able to deliver you? The disciples had just asked in in chapter four, who is this man? And the answer is about to come. He is the one who is able to deliver the most hopeless from their most hopeless situation. And so in verses 10 to 13, we see the deliverance take place. And read with me here. In verse 10, it says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I know we have some questions here, and perhaps at the top of our mind is this question, well, why the pigs? Or maybe some of the men in the church are asking, well, where's the bacon? Wondering if maybe they went up and had a big pig roast, carved up some bacon, it was time to feast. Well, I want to talk about the pigs, but can we just take a moment to hit the pause button on this story? and appreciate what has happened here. Here is the delivering power of Jesus on display. The demons who could not be subdued are subdued. The demons that could not be bound are bound. The one man who could find no deliverance has been delivered. See, church, we need to find such great comfort here. Jesus is the one who is able to bring healing to the most hopeless. He's able to deliver the most destroyed. And if Jesus is able to deliver this hopeless and destroyed man, how much more is he able to deliver you from whatever you're facing this morning? Many are here with the great burden of difficult circumstances. You're walking through trial and in the valley of darkness, you see no way out. And Jesus has a word for you this morning that he is powerful and that he is able to deliver you by his power. He is able to protect you. As you see the power of Christ, Jesus wants to lift that burden off of your shoulders and say to you, come and find rest in me. I have power adequate enough for you to be delivered from your greatest trials, from your greatest burdens. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been struggling with sin in your life. Maybe it's a sin you've been battling for years. And Christian, you need to hear this, that your Savior, your Deliverer, is one who has the power to deliver you from the deepest, most rooted sin that could ever take hold of your life. He has the power to deliver you See, at the feet of Jesus, there is no sin struggle that is too deep for his deliverance. And what a great mercy it is when we find ourselves here in this moment realizing that we don't have the power to deliver ourselves; that there is only one man who has the power to deliver us, and it is Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Turn to our compassionate Savior. Be gripped by his power, power of the one who is able to deliver you in this moment if you will place your faith in him and say, I can't do it, but Jesus, you can. You are the one who has the power. See, your anger, it's not going to be cured by breathing and meditating. It will only be cured when you bring it to the feet of Jesus Christ. Your fear of man, it's not going to be solved by gritting your teeth and having some courage. It will only find healing. You will only find healing when you are at the feet of Jesus Christ, the one who is able to deliver you from your greatest sin struggles. But finally, why the pigs? Well, this brings us to our third point, that if I'm going to be gripped by the power of Christ, I must embrace the demanding power of the gospel. I must embrace the demanding power of the gospel. Now, the first thing that we need to realize is that the moral question of the pigs is not really something that was brought up by the modern-day hearers of this story. It's not brought up in any of the gospels, and the reality is that we're not really told exactly why Jesus chose the pigs. But based on the lesson that Jesus is teaching on what it means to be gripped by the power of Christ, we can actually come to a few answers. Now, the reality is is that as a society, we have kind of had a shift on how we think about pigs. And so we read this story and our immediate thought is, oh, the pigs, how could you do that to the pigs? They're so cute and cuddly. And you just need to know that's not what the modern day hearer would have thought. Pigs were thought of much more as a commodity. It was much more like money. To have pigs was to have wealth, and they weren't thought of like these own personal pets. We've actually had a big sh- a cultural shift on pigs, so that if you were to go on like, something like Airbnb, you can actually go, you can pay someone to go to their farm, and you can pet their pigs. And a lot of people, I'm not included in these people, but a lot of people think that that is something that is, would be very fun to do. And I don't 100% understand it. I think you could just go and lay in a dumpster and experience the exact same thing as being with pigs, and that's free. And yet, we've had this shift so that we look at the story a lot differently than the modern-day hearers would have. But Jesus does cast these demons into the pigs, and the pigs are destroyed. And perhaps there are a few answers we can come to. The first answer is this as to why Jesus would choose the pigs. First, by casting the demons into the pigs, Jesus was proving the effectiveness of his deliverance. See, no one could stand there and argue that Jesus didn't have power to deliver this man because it was so clear, It so clearly happened. His power was so visibly put on display as the demons exited out of this man and entered into the pigs, and 2,000 pigs ran off the cliff. See, people around weren't saying, well, that's a normal thing to happen. That is a strange and absurd thing to happen. And it could only happen if Jesus was who he said he was, the one who is powerful to deliver Secondly, it would be so overwhelmingly clear to the disciples and to the people there that the demon's intent was destruction. See, again, we see that the enemy is out for destruction because as soon as they enter into the pigs, what do they do? They hurl themselves off the cliff. They commit suicide. If Jesus had not delivered this man, they would have done the exact same thing to him. But thirdly, and maybe what's most significant to note here, is that the pigs show us that Jesus values our deliverance so greatly that he will stop at no costs. See, the 2,000 pigs, they would have represented an enormous livelihood. To lose 2,000 pigs would have been a great economic loss, but Jesus is so committed to delivering his children from the grip of the evil one that he will do it no matter the cost. Whether it's 2,000 pigs or 2 million pigs, So great is the value of one human soul that Jesus will stop at no cost to save them. It doesn't even require a footnote. It should be obvious that this man's life is so much more valuable. This is the cost of salvation of this man, 2,000 pigs. Well, in Scripture, we're shown an even greater—the greater cost of salvation— We see the cost of salvation most clearly in the cross where the perfect son of God would give his life so that he might ransom sinners from their destruction. See, if 2,000 undeserving pigs are a great tragedy to you, how much more of a tragedy is it that the only perfect man ever to walk on this planet, he died the death of sinners, He gave his life to deliver his children from the grips of the evil one. He did not deserve it, and yet he died so that those who did deserve death could live forever. See, to experience the salvation Christ offers, we must recognize the cost. We must recognize what Jesus gave up in order to secure our salvation, not only the lives of 2,000 pigs, more importantly, his own life so that you may have eternal life. Not only does Jesus want us to recognize the cost, he want also requires that we be willing to embrace the demand. And yet, verses 14 to 17 show us that the community would not agree. They would disagree with the cost. Saying that it was too great, and they would disagree with the demand of Christ, saying that it was too great. And so, look what happens in verses 14 to 17. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from there. So, this whole community gathers around this amazing display of power, and it's so evident that what has happened is that the man who was untamable was tamed. It's so evident this man had been delivered because there he sits at the feet of Jesus. The one who was crazy, the one who was breaking binds, uh, shackles of chain and steel, was sitting calmly at the feet of Jesus. And so what should their reaction be? Well, if they valued what Jesus valued, you'd expect they would bow down and worship and be amazed at what Jesus had done in this man's life and perhaps be amazed at what Jesus could do in their lives. Surely, many of them would desire deliverance themselves. And yet, it's certainly not what happens. Instead, we're told they were afraid. They had seen the power of Jesus delivering this man from evil, they had seen how much it cost, and they weren't willing to embrace the cost. See, Jesus is teaching us that following him comes at a cost. This is a rebuke to our modern day Christianity, our easy believism. See, in our day, the call to Christianity is that you don't have to give up much. Just be a good person, just go to church, and it's all good. But Jesus has a whole new definition that to follow him, to be gripped by his power is to offer your life as a blank check to him, to say, Jesus, your will is my way. I will do whatever you call me to do. You are saying that you are now a follower of Jesus, that you have a new king, And for some of us, we began our walk with Christ, offering ourselves completely to him, offering our lives as a blank check to him. But since then, maybe we've taken back some of our original commitment. Maybe in the midst of this pandemic, it's possible that we've loosened our commitment to Christ, where once we were willing to give him everything, maybe now we've taken some back selfishly. We want to live our own life. especially possible in the midst of the pandemic for this to be a reality in our lives. Maybe our routine pre-COVID had us serving in the church, had us discipling our families, had us committed to a small group, had us sharing the gospel with our neighbors, but COVID has changed the way that we participate in all of these things, hasn't it? And maybe as the routine has changed, you've just stopped completely doing these things that you were once doing to give your life to Jesus Christ as his follower. In your season, have you asked yourself this question? How can I give myself wholly to Christ? What needs to change? Listen, as we look forward to 2021, can you take a moment, even today, to look back on 2020 and ask, what, need, what needs to change in 2021 in order for me to give my life to Christ, knowing the demanding power of the gospel? See, while the crowd had rejected Jesus because of the demanding power of the gospel, it's clear that the man who had been delivered embraced the cost. And so look at verses 18 and 19. And it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, all those who have been delivered from the powers of evil, delivered by the power of the gospel, experience this exact same feeling. We long to be with Jesus. We long to be in the presence of Jesus. And this is a cause for a heart check for some of us right now. See, this man, he longed to be in Jesus' presence. And can I ask you this question? When was the last time that you truly longed to be in the presence of Christ? When was that last time that you had this heartache to draw near to Jesus Christ? And if it has been a long time, then you need to pray and repent and ask that the Lord would give you such a great desire to be near to him. This man desired to be near to Jesus, and he understood that to embrace the demanding power of Jesus meant to live In his service. And so Jesus said to him, Go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. See, to be gripped by the power of Jesus is to be caught up in the mission of Jesus. And so this man gladly takes up the call. He gives his life to Jesus as a blank check. In the Gospel of Mark, this man becomes the first Christian missionary, a Gentile saved. In front of the disciples, willing to take the gospel call to the Gentile nations. And Mark shows us that Jesus saves this man to graciously answer their question Who is this? Who is this who has power to stop the wind and the waves? The disciples didn't know, and it was unclear to them, but now it has an obvious answer, both to the man who had an unclean spirit. And to us, this is the mighty Son of God whose power must be grasped, who must grip us with his great power. This is the Son of God who is overcoming the destruction of his enemies. He's delivering his children and calling us to embrace the demanding power of the gospel. And so the question for the disciples and the question for you this morning is, will you be gripped by the power of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the one who is able to deliver and intent on delivering his children from the grips of the evil one. Father, we worship you because just as this man has, had experienced deliverance from the un- undeliverable situation he was in, just as he experienced healing when he had no hope for healing, Jesus, so in you have we, the church, found healing and hope and salvation. And God, just as your great power delivered this man, so it has delivered all of those who have placed their faith in you. And so Jesus, we take this moment to praise you for who you are, to exalt you because you have been mighty to save, that you are able by your great power to deliver us. God, thank you. We pray this all in the name of your son, amen.